Scripture for today is Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you. Uh, man, what a, he is worthy. He's worthy of our lives. If he really is who we just sang that he is, uh, then he is worthy of everything. So today we begin a new sermon series. And anytime you leave a, a, a book of the Bible behind, it's, it's kind of like uh, moving on to have that second baby, right? You're like, man, could I really love this new one as much as I love the last one? Uh, but inevitably, you do. Um, and thankfully, uh, Bible books aren't babies. Um, and so it's not like we're sending Hebrews 11 off to college. Uh, you can go hang out with Hebrews 11 tomorrow or tonight if you want to. Um, uh, and this is a horrible analogy. Uh, but so we're going to turn our attention now for the rest of the summer, for about the next three months or so, uh, to the book, uh, this little book called Philippians, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. And, and my brother, Eddie Nostrand, this week he called it the epistle of joy. And that's what it is. So um, we're going we're gonna to dig in there. So this morning, we're laying the groundwork. So we're, we're going we're gonna to end today's service uh, by, by hearing the letter read, uh, just the same way that those who would have first heard it from the Apostle Paul um, in Philippi would have heard it. So, um, so before we get going, let me pray for us, and then we'll continue. Father, would you give us, would you give us ears to hear? Father, we are your children, but we are also um, at times so, so deaf to your, your speaking into our life, so uh, calloused by uh, our own uh, hardness of heart, our own pursuit of our own joy outside of you, and we, we miss how great you are. We don't think about it. We don't think rightly of, of you. We don't, we don't realize how truly worthy you are. And so, Father, would you, by your spirit today, as we look at this book, would we, would we find it, just everlasting joy in Jesus? And would it not be something trite, uh, but it would be something deep and, and abiding? And would our lives be poured out uh, for you because we see Jesus as so great? And so, God, would you do this? Speak to us today by your spirit. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, later, later this year, Amy and I will celebrate 20 years of marriage. And uh, yeah, hey, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't going for that, but I appreciate it. Thanks, appreciate it. Um, but that, that, and that doesn't count like the six and a half years that we dated. Um, so if you're doing the math right, that, we started dating in third grade. Um, but not really, but close. Um, but, but I still remember those early days of, of dating of young love, uh, and, and we're still reminded of those, of those days when we go out to a restaurant, because often you'll see there's somebody there like in the first stages of dating, right? And because you know that, because they're not sitting across at the booth, they're sitting on the same side of the booth, um, and they're not looking at their food. Like they're not even, they don't even know the food is there. Uh, they're just having a conversation, and the food could, it might as well not be there. And the conversation goes something like, I love you. I love you more. I love you more. And it's like that for a while. Um, and it's, it's, hopefully it's better, but, uh, it's, but it's intense. Uh, it's deep. It feels deep. But after years, after battle scars, 
after victories and after trials, when, when Amy and I get our food on a date night like that, uh, we don't ignore the food anymore. Um, but when we hold hands and when we pray together, it's, it's deeper, right? It's just deeper. Um, and as we say, I, I love you, even on a day that's very difficult, very hard, uh, you just know more. Like, you, you know what love costs. And then, of course, there's probably a couple on the other side of the restaurant in their 70s looking at us and going, oh, aren't they cute? Those, those people in their 20 years of marriage, they think they've, been, they've got it down. Um, but years with someone, years, years with one person, years in one place, uh, it changes you. Um, we preached through this book of Philippians in the very first year of Redeemer, uh, when Redeemer was just underway. And if you were around in those early days, um, then man, you're awesome. That's, that's praise God for you. Uh, but as a church, we were in that kind of puppy love stage of church planting, uh, the newlywed stage. We were the young love stage of church. Uh, and and the, you know, the, the joy of a new church family, the, it's, like, it's like a new relationship. It's palpable. It's electric. Uh, it's like a live wire jolting everything in its path. There's red hot zeal running through the place. People are worshiping their guts out. Uh, everyone is serving. Everyone's moving chairs. Uh, everyone's sharing the gospel, teaching their kids about Jesus. It's real, it's contagious, uh, it's joyous. But now to, to get to this letter 13 years later, there, there, it just has a little different ring to it. Uh, and there's something uh, deep, I think, to hear the truths of God after having been, after them bearing out over uh, the years of ministry. And I think we, we're getting just a taste of what the Apostle Paul and the church at Philippi may have felt uh, as, as he wrote this letter. For them, it's been about 11 or 12 years since Paul planted the church at Philippi. And so here, 12, they've, had, they've had years now, over a decade, maybe 11 or 12 years of laboring, uh, 12 years of, of celebrating God's faithfulness, 12 years of, of forgiving one another, 12 years of seeing Gentiles saved, seeing the gospel take deep roots uh, in their lives. And yet, 12 years of probably seeing some who seemed to be brothers or sisters, only to walk away because of the distress and the persecution they faced. That's 12 years, 12 difficult years, and yet 12 years of joy. And so now, maybe it means just these 12 years later, just a little bit more when Paul says, he who started a good work in you, he'll be faithful to complete it. It, it, it would mean something a little bit more, don't you think? As their father in the faith, Paul wrote from prison and said, one thing I do, Forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Because we're citizens of heaven and we eagerly wait for our Savior who'll come from there. So today, and I think over these next three months or so as we walk through this book, whether, whether you're a new believer or, or whether you've been at it for years, whether, whether you're brand new to Redeemer or whether you remember what it was like to walk through those early days and, and the 13 years since. Let's let the weight of what Paul is saying uh, point us to Jesus. We, we, we got it. We actually, like, you, you want to hear the chains clinking as Paul is writing these words um, from prison in Rome. Because this is, this, is, this is a couple of years almost into a, into a prison sentence. And Paul is saying to the church, from prison, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. God's peace is gonna guard your, your mind. 
There's joy in the Lord. He even says, rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says it again for the people in the back. Rejoice. And so with that being said, uh, we're gonna look today at today's text as we get started there in verse one, as we read just a moment ago. Uh, Verse one, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. So when you're starting any book, uh, but particularly a letter, uh, it's always crucial to ask the question that you would want to know about any letter, not just a letter in the Bible. Uh, Number one, who's writing it? Number two, uh, to whom are they writing? Who are the recipients? And number three, why? Why are they writing this? So first, who's writing? Um, As we've said, the Apostle Paul, uh, he is the author of many of the New Testament letters. Paul had had a miraculous salvation experience where he met the Lord Jesus, um, and now he's he's been such a faithful messenger and proclaimer of the gospel, and now he's writing these years later. Uh, But two things I think stand out about how he introduces himself. Uh, First, he includes Timothy, not only because uh, he loves Timothy, uh, and and I don't think it's because Timothy wrote the letter with him, but I think Timothy is there with him. He's approving of the letter. And, and, and he's Paul's friend and companion. He's with him. Uh, but, but also, I think he's including Timothy, as he does in some other letters as well. But he's including Timothy because Timothy was there. Like, he was there with the, the Philippian church when it started. So they, they knew him. He was like part of the family. And so Paul's saying, man, Timothy's here with me. You guys know Timothy. You love Timothy. And, and, and their, their story was so intertwined with his. And then he refers to him and, and, and to Timothy as servants, as slaves of Christ, is what he says. And this is one of the only places at this point, this far into Paul's ministry and the letters he's written, uh, where he actually doesn't refer to himself as an apostle. Uh, why? I, and I think it's because, for the same reason, uh, that I don't sign personal emails to my friends as Pastor Kevin. Why? Because they know who I am. Uh, they, they already know me. I don't need to let them know uh, that I'm a pastor. And we're gonna see in this letter, I think more than any other letter that Paul writes, uh, that he knows them. He knows them and they know him. There's this loving trust that Paul has between him and the Philippian church. They are they're real, like, really partners working together. Second, he, who, who's he writing to? Who are the recipients? Uh, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, he says, who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. So to the saints in Christ Jesus in Philippi, the saints. Uh, this, is, this is an interesting word, right? This is the word, this is almost the same word for holy. Um, the holy ones really is what we're saying. What, that's what a term, right? We don't throw this around probably even maybe as frequently as we should. Uh, and we definitely don't break it down when we do so. It, but what, a, what an amazing way to refer to God's people. It, I, I imagine if I were to walk in this morning and I were to have said to you, uh, good morning, holy ones. Like you would have been, that would have sounded really weird, right? Good morning, holy ones in Christ Jesus. Maybe we should just start doing that. Uh, it, it's set apart ones in Christ. It, it's a little uncomfortable, but it's true. This is, this is who you are. This is passive righteousness. You didn't earn it. You didn't attain it. You don't work your way into being a holy one in Christ. You don't set yourself apart. No, it's, it's his work. It's his righteousness that is yours now. I think uh, Roman Catholicism has kind of hijacked this word a little bit, that only, certain, that only certain Christians are saints. The saints are just the upper crust of Christians, even to the point of, of reverence, 
or ascribing greater worth. But no, if you're in Christ Jesus, you, you're a saint. You're a saint. Christian, you're a blood-bought child of God. He has set you apart. You are justified, righteous. He's sanctifying you, transforming you into the holy image of Jesus. And so Paul is writing to them, and I believe also to us, the saints, the blood-bought men, women, children, including the elders, the deacons, the church leaders that he references here, all of us, saints, all on the same playing field. No upper crust Christians, the saints, that's us. All because of Jesus, the holy ones of God. And of course, in this letter, to, to who? To which saints? To the saints in Philippi. Philippi was this old Roman military city. Uh, it was named after Alexander the Great's father, Philip. Alexander the Great named it himself. Uh, but soon, the city was conquered by Rome. And if you're into, if you're into Roman history, uh, Philippi is the place where Caesar Augustus basically started his revenge tour, uh, wiping out uh, those who killed his uncle, Julius Caesar. Uh, it's probably an oversimplification of that battle. Uh, but the Battle of Philippi, uh, he de- him defeating Cassius and Brutus, and, and, and later, uh, so he's defeated them, and later he's gonna say, you know what, I wanna, want this to be a special city. Uh, I wanna make this a great Roman city, an official colony of Rome. And they're a good ways away from Rome. And so, he, so what he did was he resettled a lot of Roman soldiers who had fought in these wars uh, for him and, and, and they now lived in Philippi. So Roman was this military place. Uh, it was a very pro-Rome, a very nationalistic city, a place where the emperor was highly revered. You can read the whole story of the founding of this church in Acts chapter 16. Um, and, and after the Jerusalem council in Acts 15, uh, Paul had parted ways with his missionary partner, Barnabas, and he sets out again to proclaim the gospel and to plant more churches. And this is usually referred to as Paul's second missionary journey. And in a vision, uh, Paul, and, uh, Paul has a vision that the Holy Spirit tells him uh, that, hey, I want you to go down into Philippi. And so because of this vision, Paul uh, and, and Timothy and Silas and Luke and others, they head to Philippi. And so usually, usually when they arrive at a new city on these journeys, Paul would roll into town and he would locate the synagogue and begin preaching about Jesus there. Uh, but Philippi was, again, like we said, Philippi was full of Romans. It was full of these military men and their families. So there wasn't even a large enough Jewish presence for there to be a synagogue. And so on the Sabbath, when it was time for worship, Paul goes down to the river and he, found, he finds a group of women who are praying. And so he doesn't go to a synagogue. He doesn't go to an intellectual marketplace like we see elsewhere. He doesn't go to the cultural elites. No, he goes down to the river to a little prayer circle of women. And just like any other work of the Lord, how does the church at Philippi begin? I want us to read it because it's it's such a great account of what happened. In Acts 16, starting in verse 13, we get the account. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river. This is, this is Luke writing this. Where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. Verse 14. A God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. After she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And, and she persuaded us. I love that. So just like that, God opens Lydia's heart. 
God opens the heart of someone who doesn't know him. And just like that, the church of Jesus, the kingdom of God, the good news of the gospel has landed in Europe. And shortly afterward, Paul casts out a demon. In the very next story, we see him casting a demon out of a slave girl, which infuriates her owners. And so Paul and Silas are then dragged before the magistrates of the town and they're beaten with rods, we read, and they're thrown into prison. This is basically Paul's script. I think this is like his ministry plan. Uh, Just get beaten and thrown into prison. Uh, That very night, about midnight that night, they're praying and they're singing. They're singing worship songs to the Lord. They're singing hymns in jail. And what happens? Around midnight, God brings an earthquake. Of course he does. God brings an earthquake. The the jail doors fling open. The chains on Paul and Silas are broken. And the jailer wakes up and he, he, he looks around and he goes, man, I'm done. I'm done. It's over for me. And just as he's about to take his own life, Paul goes, hey, hey, we're still here. You don't need to worry about it. We're still here. No worries. And the jailer immediately knows, hey, nobody sticks around when the jail doors open. Nobody just hangs out in the jail because they want to stay. So you got to tell me, tell me what's going on with you. Tell me what must I do to be saved, he asks them. So Paul tells the the jailer about Jesus and his family believes and they're baptized. We don't know for sure how long Paul stayed in Philippi, but we, we know that he developed a close relationship with them, maybe more so than any of his other churches. We know he visited at least a couple of more times and that they were consistently sending him money and people and support. We know Luke stayed behind in Philippi after Paul left to continue the work there. And so here we are. This is the Philippian church. We've got a slave girl, a former jailer and his family, and they're all hanging out at Lydia's house, and, and which sounds like the beginning of a sitcom. Um, but this is, this, is the, a church, this is the church. These are the holy ones of God. These are the saints. The Philippian church is no all-star squad. It's regular folks. It's us. It's Redeemer. No superstars, only the Holy Spirit at work in his people. And so now 11 or 12 years later, after a few visits and over a decade of relationship, Paul is now again writing to his friends because he can't go to them. So the slave girl has grown up, no longer a slave. She's, she's, she's no longer has a, a demon that because Paul has set her, the Lord has set her free through Paul. The jailer's family would be listening in. They've all grown up. Lydia and, and, and her friends and many new converts, men and women who professed Jesus, Romans who had come to faith. There were, there were elders, there were deacons, and, and he's saying there's, there's, the, the church has all of these things now. And Paul says, I'm writing this to all of you. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't think it's a stretch to say uh, that as he writes to the saints there, uh, that by the Holy Spirit, Paul is also writing this to each of us. Because this really is our story. I think particularly Philippi, uh, we share many things with them. Uh, they, they were sharing the gospel with folks whose allegiance was to Rome. It was a very patriotic place. The message of another king, another kingdom, it was not embraced there. The values of the church were at odds with the values of the Roman dream, if that sounds a little bit familiar to you. 
So lastly, why is Paul writing? I think there are four main mega themes running throughout uh, the book of Philippians. And I think this is why he is writing, what he wants the church to understand. And I, I, think, <clears throat> I think these same themes are what we need to hear as we walk through this book together. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna briefly lay those out. Here's why I think he is writing. Number one, he wants them to know that he loves them. He wants them to know that he loves them. Most of Paul's letters start similarly. Uh, we see it in Romans. We see it in both of the letters to the Corinthians. We see it in Galatians and Ephesians and Colossians. Uh, he, he starts a few introductory words. Grace to you and peace from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then usually it's something along the same lines. I thank God for you. I'm praying for you. But then quickly, I, I thank God for you and I'm praying for you turns into stop it. Like stop doing what you're doing. Quit sinning the way that you're sinning. Or if it's not that, it's something along the lines of, I thank God for you, but watch out. Be careful. Don't be deceived. Who bewitched you, he says to the Galatian church. But with Philippi, it's different. The, the letter, the progression of the letter is different. Uh, these are his friends. This is a friendly letter. And, and these, these friends of his love him. With this letter, he starts the same way. Grace and peace to you. I thank God for you. But then it's not those other things. It's, this is what he says in verse seven. I have you in my heart. I miss all of you, he says. And not just I miss you, he says, I miss all of you with the affection of Jesus. He's, this is not anger, this is not frustration with them. He just badly wants them to know, I love you. And I want you to know how good Jesus is. That Jesus is worth anything that you'll go through. Why does he, why does he want them to know these things? He wants them to know this. He wants them to know how good Jesus is because he loves them so much. We know that he loves them because he sacrifices for them. He sends people to them. He labors for their joy and they love him. They do the same thing. They sacrifice for him. Out of their poverty, we'll hear, they support him. They show up when he's alone in prison. They bring him food and money. They send people to him. There's extraordinary kindness and love shown. He knew they loved him and, and he wants them to know. He wants them to know it. He doesn't want them to to doubt how he feels about them. This is good leadership. This is good leadership for all of us to hear. I, I would encourage you, let your fellow brothers and sisters at Redeemer know how much you love them. Like, tell them. Like there is, I, I, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna just go, go ahead and say across the board, maybe, maybe, maybe some of you nail this, but there's gotta be like less than 1% of us who are really, really encouraging people too much. Like, are there any of you who do it? Because we need to hang out with you. Uh, it would be encouraging for all of us, probably. Uh, no pun intended. But it, we, we, we need to tell people that we love them. We need to tell people how grateful we are for them. And Paul is showing us how to do this. Don't hold it back. Amy and I talked about this recently and, and, and talk about it a lot. We, we love you guys. So grateful for this church so grateful for your kindness to us, your kindness to one another. That's such an encouragement. And we, I guarantee you don't say it to the people that we love enough. We don't say it to you enough. You, I'm sure you don't say it to one another enough. Communicate, say it. He, Paul says it. This letter is a love fest. It's good. I love it. Uh, number two, he, he wants them to know that there's nothing else worth their lives than Jesus. Nothing else. Jesus is worth it all. Sure, he's gonna tell them about all the stuff he's been through, about how hard things have been, his imprisonment and conflicts he's been through, but they already know these things. He doesn't even have to go into as much detail because they know it. 
They've helped him at every step. They've been there with him. But he's gonna plead with them, and I think he's pleading with us too, urging us to believe that knowing Christ is so worth it. So worth it. It's worth losing everything else. In fact, in chapter three, he says, everything that was gained to me, I've considered to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things. Why does he do that? So that I may gain Christ. So that I may be found in him. He's worth it. Paul wants us to believe this. In fact, in chapter three, he's, Paul's gonna say, I believe this so much. I believe it so much that he says, it doesn't even matter. In chapter one, sorry. He's gonna say that it, it, I don't, it doesn't even matter if I live or die. If I live, I get to tell my friends more about Jesus and encourage them in the Lord. But if I die, I get to be with Christ who I love. He says to live is Christ, but to die is gain. So press on, he says in chapter three. Leave everything else behind and reach to the goal of knowing Jesus. Number three, he wants them to know real joy. Again, this is the joy letter. Their faith, Paul's gonna say, makes his joy complete, which is amazing. But it's not even about his joy. He wants their joy. He says, he says rejoice in the Lord. In fact, this gives us, this, this Philippians, uh, uh, Philippians 3, uh, 4 has the, has the famous athlete verse, right? The one that we use when we wanna do something really hard. Uh, we say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, right? Uh, that's, that's, that's the verse, right? But this, that verse has nothing to do with most of what we, how we use it, right? It has nothing to do with scaling mountains. It doesn't have anything to do with skydiving. It doesn't have anything to do with baseball games. It has everything to do with enduring hardship and still having joy. Still being full of joy. I can endure all things and still have joy. Why? Because Paul says, my rejoicing is not a rejoicing in circumstance, not a rejoicing in comfort. It's a rejoicing in the Lord, he says. He says, I found the secret. I know what the secret is to be content in all things. And then he tells them, rejoice in the Lord, always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Real joy, lasting joy is in a person, not a circumstance. It's in Jesus. And then number four, he wants them to know that Jesus gave everything up for them. Jesus gave everything for them. In many epistles or even just many books of the Bible period, uh, we can boil often things down to, hey, here's kind of the theme verse uh, of the passage. And I don't think Philippians has that theme verse. Um, it's, not, it's not written that way. But if there is one center of gravity in Philippians, one thing that kind of is just pulling the rest of the book to it, uh, it's chapter two. The famous Christ hymn in chapter two. And he wants them to know, most importantly, what Jesus did. Without knowing what Jesus did and who Jesus is for them, all of these other things are meaningless. And so he's saying to them, hey, here's, this, is, this is Jesus. And so I'm just gonna say to us, through, I'm gonna let Paul say to us, uh, here's who Jesus is. So here, here it is, I'm just gonna read it. Philippians 2, he says this, starting at the end of verse five. He speaks of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he'd emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. 
For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Jesus, not Paul, Jesus is the suffering servant. Yes, Paul endured to come to them, but Jesus took on flesh to dwell with them. Paul left his Jewish credentials behind. He's gonna, he's gonna list them out, but he's saying that none of that matters. But, but Jesus, he left the worship of heaven to die for them. Over the next three months, when we, as we're walking through this book, I, I can think of no better source of meditation and scripture memory than to memorize this portion of Philippians. So I would encourage you, take chapter two, one to 11, memorize it. Some of you go, man, I already did that. Uh, then great, make sure you got it down and memorize the rest of chapter two. You already did that? Memorize chapter three. Just mem- mem- this is, a lot of people memorize the whole book of Philippians. Go for it, you got three months, that's plenty of time. Mem- memorize, but mem- focus in on Philippians two, one to 11, and let's dwell on the beauty and the sufficiency of Christ. Commit, commit it, uh, revel in it. And so now, as we often do when we start a new book, we're gonna, we're gonna take in the letter the very same way the Philippian church would have heard it. Gather together, uh, listening to the, the letter from their dear friend, Paul, um, and they were eager to hear from him. So as our readers come, uh, I, I want you to just for a moment, <clears throat> imagine the scene. Uh, the letter has arrived. You're in the crowd with the Philippian jailer's family. You're there with this slave girl. You're there with Lydia. You're there with Euodia and Syntyche. Uh, we'll, we'll, get, we'll meet them in chapter four. You're there with many others. And you, as now one of the saints of Redeemer, you get to join in and listening to this letter with them. So I wanna encourage you, if you have your copy of the scriptures, you're welcome to follow along. Or if you'd like to just take it in the way they took it in, just listen and hear the word of God I read over you, and let's rejoice in the Lord together. So uh, join with us now as we read God's word together, amen, as we rejoice together in him. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. 
so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Jesus Christ may abound. Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God. For if, you, if it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, Make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, just as, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Now, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, but you know his proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. But I considered it necessary to send you to Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need, since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow." For this reason, I am very eager to send him so that you may rejoice again when you see him and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews regarding the law, a Pharisee regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, 
I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, and they are focused on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown in this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I urge Yodia and I urge Sintich to join, to agree in the Lord, Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. 
Praise him. Amen. He is worth it. The Lord Jesus is worth our lives. And we, as we, as we are encouraged from his word throughout this book together, um, may that, it, it, is not, it is not an exercise in just, uh, let's walk through another book of the Bible together. But it is an exercise in us going to the Lord and asking him, may you help us to see the surpassing value of Jesus so that we might press on to know him. And so let's do that together, brothers and sisters. Let's, let's press on to know the Lord so that we might, like Paul, count everything else that we once thought was gain now is lost compared to the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord.